passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, August the 7th, 2022. And today I am joined from my due east by Jesse Collings. Hello. Hello, Brandon. How are you? I'm good. Chris Gallo is, is off. He is in somewhere in Binghamton today, I think, doing a... a he is... Uh, I think he had two consecutive shows or something. And anyway, he's... He's in the middle of New York State somewhere. He cannot make it today, but we have Jesse Collings here today. Um, I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's humid. It's muggy here in Buffalo. Um, but yes, it's fine. been about 95 degrees the last four or five days. Feels like in a row. Yes. Um, here, we're work. I'm working on a um, a long piece, written piece about just ahead of the the Q2 earnings call. Whenever that happens. We've got no update as of yet on when WWE's next earnings call will be. They wrote in their 8K a couple weeks ago now that they were targeting Tuesday, August 9th, but there's been no update yet. But I hope to have that out in the next day or two uh, for patrons. But, uh, yeah, we we have uh, a crisis in the wrestling fan world from wrestling fans who who are still working through the trauma that they suffered Back in 2001, uh, at the at the hands of Jamie Kellner, and uh, WBD, Warner Brothers Discovery, had their earnings call this past uh, Thursday. I did listen to it. Um, I don't know that you listened to it, Jesse, but you pr- probably heard quite a bit about it afterward, right? I listened to about half of it. Oh, did you? Wow, good job. I listened to about half of it, but it was kind of like live. Like I, I was able to get on because you can listen to it off their website. Although you had to create an account. Uh, right. for some service that I probably never use ever again unless I'm listening to another one of those. Um, but I did listen to about half of it and then, you know, read some recaps and, and things like that. I mean, the thing about this Warner Brothers Discovery Media call was that it's n- it was not just interesting to wrestling fans. This was a uh, – maybe it's just my the way my timeline is curated, but this felt like the biggest story of the day just across social media. The the news surrounding what's going to happen to HBO Max – the crazy rumors that were, I guess, put out there. And I think it's clear to say, like, they canceled that girl. They, yeah. the movie, which was going to be a but movie just, that came out, they canceled some Scooby Doo movie. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Brandon, the, um, the trauma that wrestling fans have over 
WCW and kind of the pessimism and, and worry that that comes with that history. But just across the entertainment sphere, everyone was in a complete panic about this HBO Max and this Warner Brother, you know, the future of HBO Max and this Warner Brothers Discovery, you know, earnings call. And so, like, it's not just a wrestling thing. Like, we like we can't just say, like, oh, the wrestling media, like, didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. There was wild speculation about across the entire entertainment platform. And so I think that's, like, a key factor in all this is that there's just an incredible amount of uncertainty across the board, not just with how AEW is going to fit into Warner Bros. Discovery. Yeah, this was a big day for for media news period um and this is a pretty long earnings call compared to WWE's earnings calls which i want to say they've been getting done in under an hour lately uh this was a two-hour earnings call with a long q a session <laughs> but uh there, there's a lot of i don't know r- rumors going around and reporting about whether hbo max and discovery plus were going to merge as a streaming service uh and it was confirmed here that they are going to merge next year next summer is is their timeline for that um but what wrestling fans are we're looking at here is any sign that warner brothers discovery which is this new merged entity um whether they value AEW, and there are some some hints that we will in, interpret um but we have in this in the slides that they published on thursday afternoon there is there is this image that we're looking at here on youtube now where you've got thunder rosa here in in an, in an image you know, with the caption All Elite Wrestling TBS alongside our most watched premieres. So that includes 90 Day Fiancé on TLC, Street Outlaws, America's List Discovery. Uh, that I guess that's referring to Dynamite debuting on TBS, although that was in Q1 in January. Uh, but there was no verbal mention by any of the executives on, on the earnings call. Um, but and not that I expected there to be, but there was this image of all elite wrestling, and then in the Shark Week slide that include Dwayne Johnson, uh, but it also included this little image here that you can see on YouTube of uh, the AW ring apron for the episode of Dynamite that was sponsored by Discovery's Shark Week. So that that is a, that is a new thing in the in the pre uh, Discovery days when it was just Warner Media, um, you know that that's not something that they would have promoted because Discovery wasn't a part of their conglomerate yet. But but there's AEW showing up in some sort of incidental ways. Um, so the news had broken that, that they had canceled Batgirl, which is this movie that there were at least uh, it wasn't finished, but there were at least uh, you know people watching previews of it to sort of I don't know you know screen test it. Um, and a Scooby Doo movie has been canceled. I think a couple other things have been canceled. So. Warner Brothers Discovery is definitely in cost-cutting mode, and um, in in the relation to those two movies, like I think the Batgirl movie, they had already committed to something like ninety million dollars, and I want to say the Scoob sequel movie, there was something in the realm of like forty million dollars, um, which are really big, a great tax write-off for it, which is part right. Of the there's tax reasons for why they would just cancel a movie that they had already sunk in almost a hundred million dollars to it. But it also goes to show kind of how much money Warner Brothers is committing to its entertainment division versus how much money it's committing to AEW at the moment. Yeah. And I think um, if you listen to these calls, that was David Zaslov is the, um, is the CEO who's, whose name is being heard a lot. Um, but you listen to like the, the CFO, Gunnar Weidenfels, um, 
and he was sort of like the bad cop who who, who's, who comes in there and says, you know, the, you know, we we looked under the hood and we've done a deep dive into uh, into the, the budgeting and and we think you know there's some investments here that don't make a lot of ROI sense. So there's you know they're they're very much in cost cutting mode and they have a lot of debt to pay down related to this merger between Discovery and Warner Media. So we're seeing uh, a lot of things getting canceled. The prior quarter. Uh, quarterly earnings report had followed what had just happened in terms of the the canceling of, of CNN Plus, an entire streaming service that Warner Media hurried up to launch before the merger happened, and and then uh, Zaslav and Weidenfels took over, and they just decided to kill it right away. Anyway, in the big streaming world, what I've got here on the screen here are all of the icons of the streaming services that come to mind for me. And maybe, maybe the chat will tell me I'm leaving some things out here. But the big streaming services that come to mind for me uh, are Peacock, Discovery Plus, HBO Max, Prime Video, Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, Paramount Plus, Apple TV, and ESPN Plus. And what we're, we're gradually seeing are the, uh, the bundling of these services. Um, and they, they talked about how they're going to bundle this, this service together. We'll get into how this relates to wrestling. But they, they, they said in this one slide that HBO Max has a male skew and it's more about scripted content, whereas Discovery Plus is more of a female skew and it's more about unscripted content. Um, I know there, there was some, some unhappiness about, about this, but I think what they're trying to do is take these two streaming brands that have uh, complementary appeal and bring them together. Um, they have how many subscribers? do these brands have they uh they did uh, as far as i know and maybe maybe somebody caught this and i didn't but uh they didn't break out hbo and discovery plus separately at least not where i saw but they do have what they call a new harmonized subscriber definition where they've grouped hbo max traditional hbo and discovery plus together globally that's got 92 million subscribers which is up from the prior quarter uh but they're, they're down in domestic subs with only 53 million domestically, which is down slightly by about 300,000 from the prior quarter. They are up a couple million in international subs. So we're seeing sort of the, just the maturation, the saturation of streaming following this big story that Netflix Netflix domestically had been seemed to be pretty saturated for a year or so, I want to say. But even globally, internationally... We're seeing things overall start to, you know, it's no longer in this, you know, explosive growth stage. The stream, streaming services are. Um, and CNBC's uh, Alex Sherman had a tweet where he goes over all of the, the global targets for various streaming services. And Peacock is, is different in that it's just a domestic service. Of course, that's where WWE is. And uh, they're targeting 30 to 35 million by next, by well, not next year, but by, by 2024, uh, 30 to 35 million domestic active accounts. So that's not necessarily paid subs, which is at currently at about 13 million, but active accounts. Right now, their active accounts, I believe, are, are what? I've got it on this uh, spreadsheet off screen. Their active accounts are at 27 million. So they're only about 3 million short of, of what they say is their original goal. Um, again, that's just domestic. Peacock is not a global service, at least not yet. Uh, and then the combined HBO and Discovery, uh, they're targeting 130 million 
global subs by 2025. And again, how many they have currently? They have 92 million. So they have 92 million now. They're targeting 130 million. Disney Plus is targeting 230 million to 260 million uh, by 2024. How much does... I can tell you how much they have uh, in the U.S. They have about 39 million, about 40 million subs just in the U.S. And Paramount Plus is believing that it will be the smallest among this group with only 100 million global subs by 2024. Um, anyway, I think what we're going to see is, is the continued bundling of, um, of different services. Discovery and HBO Max sensibly coming together because they're under the same conglomerate. And then Disney has... Obviously, Disney Plus, they have one of the oldest services, which is Hulu, and they also have ESPN Plus. So maybe someday all three of those get put together. I know there are people, including the Light Shed people, who think that uh, Hulu could go to, to Comcast um, because, um, I don't know, <laughs> because it, you know Peacock is, is not this huge service yet, and what's the point of having D Disney Plus and Hulu? Um, and, and couldn't you just have um, sort of your adult content on on Disney Plus if it's sort of locked away from the kids or something like that? You've got parental controls. Um, but that kind of leaves, if, if, if Hulu, and maybe Hulu and, and Peacock go together, but it's, it still at least leaves, if not Peacock, it leaves Paramount Plus out here by itself. And then you've got these three sort of giants. You know, Netflix is, is the oldest and sort of the, the trailblazer in, in streaming. Um, they're, they're having trouble, though. Maybe it would make sense for them to eat up one of these services. But maybe more likely is Apple and Amazon, whose main business is not media, is not streaming, uh, who have much deeper pockets than any of these. They're among the biggest companies in the world, and maybe they end up, who knows, maybe they end up buying, acquiring Paramount uh, at some point, which is now what we're calling the former Viacom CBS. Anyway, what does any of this have to do with wrestling? Um, well, st streaming gets, is, is getting bigger, and uh, cable is falling by about 6% year over year. Um, where are we going here? Is that WWE's deals are going to be renegotiated next year. Uh, WWE's deal is up about a quarter before AEW's deal is up. And by the way, AEW's got a one-year option uh, that would extend it out to the very end of 2024 uh, if that option is not activated. And for all I know, it might have already been picked up by Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, but if that, if that option was not picked up, they, their contract would be expiring at the end of next year, at the very end of 2023. Um, but my, my belief has always been that they'll, they'll pick up that option. They may have already picked up that option, and that would mean that these deals would, would be uh, finalized, negotiated throughout next year. Um, usually these deals, at least in, the, in W's case, I've got the last two rounds uh, having followed, basically. The, the last two rounds for WB were completed about a year and a half in advance of the, the current deal expiring. So uh, I would expect W's deal, if, if past history is any lesson, I would expect W's deal to be done sometime around the spring of next year. So we're less than a year away on WB. And if AW follows the same timeline, I would expect it to be about maybe three months after that. So that would mean maybe the fall of next year, about one year away from that time. 
Um, so with Warner Brothers uh, Discovery in cost-cutting mode, uh, despite the fact that you know AW's doing pretty well, especially for, for a Wednesday night program, they were number one again on among cable originals in the demo. This makes, just in, in the short history here, the last six out of seven weeks, AW Dynamite has been the number one program among cable originals in the demo on Wednesday. Uh, Raw is, was number one by far, and we'll get into Raw specifically later. But Dynamite is usually among the most highly watched shows in the demo uh, on its night, uh, even if you include broadcast primetime, which, which we include in this chart, in this chart that I tweet almost every day with all the bubbles. Uh, even when you include broadcast primetime, Dynamite's usually in the top ten. Only on a few occasions does it fall out of that top ten. Uh, Rampage is another story, though. Um, but when I've done the math, we did a, a, a program here uh, on WrestleNomics Radio a couple months ago doing the math just based on ratings, which are not the only factor, but if they were, just based on ratings. I, I can justify looking at, for one thing, the NHL Warner Media deal, which is similar in some important ways to these wrestling deals. I can justify, just based on ratings, a 1.5x increase for Raw and SmackDown, which just happens to be what Morgan Stanley believes. And I can justify sort of between a 3 and a 5x increase for AEW. Based on what? Based on uh, the P2 Plus view, uh, the dollars per P2 Plus viewer hour, which you can see here, and the dollars per P18 to 49 viewer hour. Anyway, you, you, you do the math and compare the NHL deal to the SmackDown deal, you end up with about a 1.5x increase. You apply that to Raw and SmackDown. You do the same sort of calculation against AEW, and you end up with a 3 to 5x increase for Dynamite and Rampage combined all three hours. Uh, ratings will not be the only factor, though, that determines what these deals are going to be worth. The number of bidders that there are and how aggressive those bids are will be the biggest factor. Ratings will be really important, especially where you rank. Not just how much are you down from last year, but where you rank among all the other programming. Uh, your ad rates, your CPMs, the amount of content. Uh, wrestling is, is pretty good in that it's providing 52 weeks a year of new first-run content that is live, that is somewhat DVR-proof. And how can you uh, benefit the network overall by doing things like cross-promoting Shark Week, uh, by in WWE's case, having another program, NXT, on your network by promoting events on Peacock um, and things like that. Um, and the reach will sort of go the other way, which is where I, where I argue that if you're going to put one of these programs on a streaming service where it's going to have lower reach than it would on a traditional high-profile linear network, you, you take it away from this traditional TV network that has 70 to 80 million homes, uh, and then put it on one of these streaming services that at the moment has 20 to 30 million homes, uh, that's less valuable to the wrestling company. Therefore, that should be offset with an increase in payment, perhaps. So those are all the factors that would come into play in terms of what the deals would be worth, as far as I can think. Um, now, there's uh, much speculation about what, what AEW is going to be able to get. Yes, yes, Jesse. I wanted to ask you on the slide where you talk about some pretty ambitious streaming goals from these uh, streaming companies. And mm -hmm. from that approach, you're not just looking at content that you can add 
but also looking at content that could potentially grow under your brand or continue to have so so you're looking at content that maybe has some level of upward trajectory which you could argue while AEW's television ratings have been kind of stagnant last month you know a few months or so AEW is a company that's on upward trajectory when it comes to a lot of their popularity metrics and does that play a role in making them more attractive to some of these streamers that are looking to boost people who are subscribing to their service um I think about Peacock, right? Peacock has the English Premier League, which is a league that historically in the United States is on the rise in popularity. That helps them get closer to their subscription goal because the uh, the belief is is that more and more people are going to get into the Premier League for various reasons, and that will lead them to getting Peacock because you really can't be an English Premier League fan without having a Peacock subscription. Almost all the games are now on Peacock. Um, and so does a company like AEW that's on kind of an upward trajectory factor into that at all when it comes to looking to make some sort of cross-platform deal that involves a streaming component. Uh, we saw with like the F1 rights were really important from a growth perspective because Formula One has been on such a high trajectory of, of increasing its footprint in the United States and adding more fans. And on the I know on the chart you said, I, I think it was the second highest most watched show on, on cable last week behind only the big raw rating in the 1849 category. So I, I wonder like if, if AEW being on kind of like what we consider an upward trajectory adds to its appeal from a, from these companies that are looking to add content, but they're also looking to add content that has growth potential once they add it, as opposed to, Oh yeah, we'll add, we'll get the archives to some television show Seinfeld or whatever. And we'll have all the Seinfeld fans will, will come in and, and get our subscription, which is valuable, but you're not really going to grow Seinfeld. I guess that's not like a, a property that's going to grow its fan base. Yeah. I, th- I think that's an argument that AEW would make was, is that we're, we're a new brand that's only been around for three years and we've got a, a lot of room to grow. Um, I'm less optimistic about AEW's ability to grow, um, than I was a couple weeks ago. Uh, which I think we'll get into. Uh, but will we get into that? I guess we can just get into it now then. Um, I think I think Vince no longer being around is going to hurt AEW's ability to attract talent and to retain talent. And if if WWE actually becomes a lot better than it was before, you know, WWE not be not not being a really frustrating program to watch for a lot of people really up, upsets a lot of business models. <laughs> uh, that and that you know, WWE for years has created a need and a hunger for an alternative to WWE. And if they're no longer not serving that market, um, it lessens the need for AEW. And I think there's still room for two pretty big wrestling companies to exist in this media economy. I think wrestling, unlike let's say the, the uh, NBA or Major League Baseball, where it, it really makes sense for there to be one dominant league. I think wrestling is sort of different in that. Yeah, it's, it's sort of sports, but it's also sort of uh, scripted entertainment. So that I think there's, you know, and obviously there's room for a multitude of, of various kinds of scripted uh, entertainment programs. So I think there's room for at least two. And I, don't, I really don't think there's great room for, for more than two. But I think there's room for two. So I don't think AEW is going to go away. Um, and I think they're going to continue to exist as a, as a pretty strong media brand. 
but if somebody was asking me, do I, I mean, when the, the following, you know, the, the months to come will, will answer this, but if somebody's asking me whether I think, you know, AW is going to become nearly as popular, is going to continue to increasingly rival WB, I feel less bullish about that today than I did before Vince McMahon resigned. I think we're way too early in the Triple H reign of WWE to really make any judgments about whether or not that company is going to change uh, a lot. And I, I, think, I think a lot of people are underestimating how detrimental to the creative Evans was, and I think we'll see uh, we'll see slow we'll see slow gradual change over time, and uh, you know and and I think it'll become gradually better. And yes, we still got like no de- no no two no contest finishes. On Raw, um, we still got Kevin Dunn, you know, do, doing whatever he's doing with the production, and it's going to take months and maybe years for Triple H's main roster product to, to normalize. Um, but yeah, I think I think uh, Vince was, you know, doing a, doing a lot it, to to make the W product way worse than it would have been otherwise. I wanted to ask you just kind of in general about a lot of the discussion around AEW, Warner Brothers Discovery and kind of, you mentioned the anxiety that people have over WCW and and Time Warner and how that kind of came to pass. And so when we're talking about, let's, when we're talking about Warner Brothers Discovery's commitment to AEW, what is ultimately of greater value to AEW? Is it the platform that Warner Brothers Discovery gives AEW being, you know, TBS and TNT to the largest cable networks around and, you know, being able to come, you know, tied in with, with like the NBA and, and, and that kind of thing. And they're in 90 million homes or whatever they're in. Or is it how much money they're getting from these, from Warner Brothers Discovery? Which one of these things is more valuable? Because I feel like in a lot of ways, we talk a lot about how like AW needs this, this TV deal that's four times larger than its current one. Otherwise, you know, AW's going to be not going to be able to compete for talent and it's going to be a complete disaster and the company's going to go out of business. But to me, it's almost more valuable to be on a cable network with that kind of reach, at least in AW's current uh, incarnation. And the money is kind of a secondary issue. Obviously Tony Khan would like to make a lot more money with his television property and would like to be making four times as much money as he is now in his TV rights. But it's not, to me, it's not necessarily as important as being on the the large cable network platform is. And that if they were to get more money from a smaller network station for whatever reason, let's say Paramount, CBS makes a big bid and puts it on Paramount Network, which is not necessarily as highly rated of a network as TBS and TNT, but AEW gets more money that's not necessarily a win for AEW because they're going to the smaller network. I think the opportunity of being on TBS and TNT is more valuable to the company at this point than necessarily just getting a lot of money to be on there. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a limit where the money becomes more valuable than the, the platform. But I think there's yeah. a, I think, I think it's kind of like a backwards discussion where people seem to be under the impression that AEW needs to get like a massive new TV deal or the company's going to like cease to exist or it's going to become a shell of its, itself. That just no, doesn't I, seem I to be mean, true. And if, if you look at like, like the history of Impact Wrestling, like how many, we don't know, but like how many of the years of Impact Wrestling, these 20 years that it's existed, how many of those years have been profitable? Um, 
but reach is, is hugely important. Like imagine a, a company that was like, I don't know, just on YouTube and had, you know, was being funded with hundreds of millions of dollars every year, but didn't have a broad reach pro- platform. I think reach is, is hugely important. Um, like as, as far as competing for talent, they're competing for talent now and have been for the last three years. Um, largely that's because they're, they're funded well by Shad Khan. Um, but if AEW only gets a marginal increase in payments over what it has now, which is $44 million average annual value, if they only get a small increase, um, are they profitable? Maybe they can budget in a way that, that makes them profitable. Where it appears, I mean, like right now, they, they seem to be running pretty efficiently in terms of they're, they're sharing apparently a lot of employees with, with the Jaguars and probably a lot of other resources with the Jaguars. So it's it's seems like a, a, a company that's being run on a pretty lean operation already. Um, so a small increase in rights fees could be enough for them to break even. Um, whether or not they get a 3x increase or a 4x increase or a 5x increase is just sort of a, a matter of how profitable they would be and how much they're going to be able to invest that additional revenue in, in other things to make AEW more successful. Um, but the other options in terms of reach, I think that that's important to talk about. Like if they don't um, stay with with Turner Networks, with, with TNT and TBS, there aren't a lot of great options in terms of the, the profile of linear network. Um, I think it, it makes sense for them to put Rampage on a streaming platform, maybe, and put Dynamite on a traditional TV platform. But if it's not with TNT or TBS, who's left? Um, maybe Fox doesn't renew SmackDown. Maybe that makes Fox available. It's harder to imagine Dynamite going on the, the Fox broadcast network Maybe, but that seems far-fetched. In, in lieu of that, they end up on FS1. As you mentioned, there's there's Paramount. They could be on the Paramount Network, the former Spike TV. They could be on Showtime. Both of those are a pretty significant step down from TNT to TBS. Um, they could go on Amazon Prime, which is in a lot of homes, but not that many people use it. They are going to have the NFL this year. We'll see how that plays out for Amazon, but probably a big reach step down. Um, and maybe there's Disney. They're certainly not going to be on the mothership ESPN, but maybe ESPN2. Uh, you could you could see a, a sensible deal being made for a company that's still in the pay-per-view business, AEW, to put their pay-per-views exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. That might make sense in terms of whatever else they have to offer to a streaming service. So that that could make sense. But I think, yeah, they're unless they get a huge downgrade, which seems highly unlikely to me. Um, and, like, can, can anybody name any sports properties that have gotten a downgrade? In, in rights fees. I think one of the ML, MLB deals uh, was a step down. Uh, but almost all of the, of the sports rights deals that have been made, uh, and, and Morgan Stanley has a slide, if I can find it. There's probably uh, some college sports conference where all of the marketable teams have left for another conference that pro- may perhaps has taken a downgrade. But that's the only one I could even envision taking less. Right. And, uh, and if anybody has a, a, a question, by the way, to uh, if you want to put in a super chat, we will take your super chat. Uh, and uh, if you want to have your question or your comment read on air. Uh, uh, I wanted to throw a station that nobody really talks about as a potential home, but would make some form of sense, which is MTV. And that they've dabbled in wrestling before. They are a strong, still to this day, a pretty strong 18 to 49 network. We talk about the challenge versus, you know, Dynamite's biggest rival, the challenge. Um, 
for a bit uh, on Wednesday nights, but there are, you know, a Viacom network that would be potentially similar in some ways than TBS and TNT and maybe reach new audiences, particularly female audiences that TBS and TNT currently don't kind of have a stronger crossover with, but just throw that out there as a potential spot. Yeah, on I, like, I, I, I don't know, but I would just guess based on what the people behind the MTV envision for that network, that, that wrestling wouldn't be a part of it. Obviously heat has been on there. And, uh, and, you know, back in the 80s, they had WF on there. I would guess... This is no, Wrestling but... Society X erasure, Brandon. Was, was Wrestling Society X on MTV? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. We got a, a, a bunch more slides that I've, I've blown through, but I don't need to go through all of them. But this is from Morgan Stanley. This is from, an, you know, one of, one of their equity analyst reports. Um, just showing... And I, and I drew a, a yellow line across the 1.0x mark on, on the y-axis here. To, sh- to show it, maybe they're leaving some out, but even if they're leaving some out, there's plenty of, of, of deals going back to 2001 that have been at an increase. Then they draw this, uh, this call out here, average rights inflate by two times. The average, the average deal is twice as valuable on an average annual basis than the previous deal. Um, and, uh, the, the biggest, the, the biggest one of all here on, on this chart anyway is, is WWE's U.S. deal, which was at a rate of 3.6x. Um, so so that's what's normal in the sports world. Um, but uh, it, it's easy to imagine Warner Brothers Discovery not being that interested in in renewing AEW at a, at a big rate. I would imagine they make some bid. And you've always got to consider, you know, what, what do they think is going to be more valuable in that same spot? Um, what's going to produce, uh, you know, a, a 0.30 demo for, for AEW, uh, or for, for TNT or TBS, or you know, I guess at this point on Wednesday outside, night. Outside of live sports. Um, more Big Bang Theory comes close. More Big Bang Theory comes close. Um, oh, the reruns, yes. Yes. Uh, just to do, do another two hour block of the Big Bang Theory, and it gets but, pretty close. Yeah, what are yeah, they paying? I, they're, they're licensing the Big Bang Theory. They don't just own the Big Bang Theory. If there's anything that's going to collapse in the future in, in cable, it has to be the rerun syndicated market. You would think. Because that seems to be made for that's what streaming is, is people who are watching old television shows on their various streaming services. Um, right, you would think. But how much, you know, how much they can replace it? It's, it seems unlikely that they canceled the highest rated show that they have outside of the NBA. Or maybe they just don't bid aggressively for it. Or they which... don't. But yeah, canceling is, is not the right term. Bid aggressively is the, is the correct term. And, I mean, so the, um, it's quickly on, on, on reruns. Um, in, for the, t- the time between July 25th and July 31st, the top 13 programs that are reruns in the demo were the Big Bang Theory, which did uh, between a .23 and a point. Two seven, which is less than what what Dynamite did, which has been doing a point three two point three three for the last several weeks over the course of two two hours. Correct. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I wonder how much um, is there a bigger like more established cable network that shows reruns? Like ESPN Nick, is obviously Nick at the night. top. <laughs> Nick at well, night. like yeah, yes, FX, Swim. but The Office um, with Comedy Central makes it up here. American Dad yeah. on Adult Swim. So that that's what's in the top there um, for for reruns and and what I was saying too is like these reruns aren't just in in the Warner Media's, Media Warner Media 
Warner Brothers Discovery Library. Those are licensed, um, and I, I forget who owns it, but but they're paying something. You know, they're paying something like hundreds of millions of dollars uh, over the course of years for for the rights to to have the Big Bang Theory. Um, so we do have one super chat which we can put on the screen here. This is from. Lee Butler, who asks more detail about Vince detrimental creatively. Um, I think Vince, most importantly, didn't cultivate star power in in a way that was not that hard to do better. Um, I think WWE, under Vince's creative leadership, failed to plan and execute long-term storylines. I think he did a lot of things to make the product feel more inauthentic, to put a lot of supposedly comedic aspects in the background of things that would have uh, made everything more attractive to viewers if they were taken more seriously. I think he misevaluated talent. Uh, he he had a, a vision of talent that was more relevant in the 80s to value people who were tall or freakishly muscular or who looked like fitness models in the case of women. Um, and I think he booked a lot of rematches that uh, made the whole thing feel repetitive and not really that important to not really urged you to watch it as much um, among other things. Those are the things that come to mind first. Uh, the, the pushing of Roman Reigns for the last five years. Roman Reigns I would not argue against Roman Reigns being a top star, but pushing him in the way that they did over the course of the last five years, especially before they turned him heel uh, cost them a lot of opportunity costs. And I think without frustrating the fans in a number of ways, including the way that they pushed Roman Reigns through 2015 to 2020 without doing that um, there might not be an AEW um, because one of the conditions that makes AEW a worthy business opportunity is that you've got a population of alienated wrestling fans who weren't getting what they wanted from WWE and frustrated a lot of talent who were either reticent about going to WWE or who were already there and felt that they were being wasted. Thanks for Super Chat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would summarize it as if you were ever really frustrated with something that was happening in WWE, chances are Vince was responsible for it. Most, and most some of those frustrations will certainly still exist without him, but you can't be anytime anyone ever complained about anything in WWE, I always felt like, well, it's Vince. It's Vince is the issue. Vince is the problem for all of the yeah. things that you said, Brandon. And to summarize it a little more succinctly, just in general, it's not like he was Vince was seemed to be over the last 10 or 15 years stuck in like a mode where time moved slower for him than it did for everybody else which led to a lot of repetitive, like you said, the repetitive matches, the incredibly long-term I try, attempts to push Roman Reigns as the top babyface in the company, something that lasts years and years and years and years, far longer than almost anything, any other period in the company history. Um, the product not changing for long periods of time relative to you know, the past. And all that boils down to a lot of it is Vince getting older, so time doesn't mean as much to him. So pushing someone for three years you know, meant nothing to him, where as opposed to a wrestling fan is used to kind of rapid change. Now. Or maybe he just didn't remember what he booked in, in the prior weeks. Also, uh, you know, he took a lot of chair shots in the 90s. Uh, Will Washington has a very generous super chat. Will Washington from Fightful and Grapsity. He says, I'm beginning to theorize that with WBD cutting so much in house programming, they'll be looking to fill those gaps with more licensed content as it becomes cheaper. I think that works in AEW's favor. So Will is saying they'll cutting so much in-house programming, so that's scripted content, right? This Zaslav leadership doesn't seem to be that interested in, say, the scripted programs that 
were on TNT, which some of them have already been canceled. Um, maybe they're looking to fill those gaps with more licensed content as it becomes cheaper. Maybe that works in AEW's favor. Um, it's probably going to be a, a financial calculation in terms of what do they, how, how much do they value AEW? What kind of argument does W make, or does, w, does AEW make to executives about, about their value? Um, I think it's going to have a lot to do with the fact that, you know, where, where do TV networks get their revenue from? There's two major sources which are advertising revenues and subscriber revenues. So where, where does that money come from? Obviously, the, the ads come from the, the products that are being advertised. And the subscriber fees come from the cable and satellite networks that pay X number of dollars per subscriber uh, to carry your network. So here in the Buffalo area, it's Spectrum, which is owned by Charter, right? Um, Spectrum is paying, you know, $3 per subscriber to carry TNT, let's say. Uh, they're probably paying a lot more for ESPN. ESPN is probably the most expensive network in terms of that. And all that's being handed down to the cable subscribers who pay their cable bills. Um, and that's making up the majority of revenue for networks like ESPN probably and, and networks like TNT and TBS. Um, what that's probably not making up the majority of revenue for are networks in the Discovery Universe. Uh, that were only in the Discovery uni Universe before this merger. Networks that David Zasloff is much more used to managing. So I, I don't know that he values the notion that, hey, look, AEW has a lot of viewers. We do really well on the demo. And having this relatively popular program on your network helps drive not just ad revenues, which maybe our CPMs are kind of low, but also drives subscriber revenues. I don't know if David Zaslaw values that the way that maybe the previous leadership under Warner Media values that. Um, and related to that, David Zaslaw has never managed domestic U.S. sports, which are the most expensive content on all of television. Um, and this is this brings to mind um, something that Alex Sherman uh, was telling. Uh, if I can. Uh, bring the right slide up. Uh, Alex Sherman and uh, John Oran of, of uh, Sports Business Journal was having a, a, a talk with uh, Alex Sherman from CNBC. So this is why this was, this was a little bit better when I was actually sharing my screen uh, in terms of finding the right slide. But anyway, they, they talk about how, uh, here he says, there's a two-hour earnings call yesterday and David Zaslav barely talked about sports. He even kind of barely talked about news. And sports and news, by the way, this is me interjecting, sports and news are among the most, are, are almost always the most popular programs on television. There are some exceptions like 90 Day Fiance and The Challenge and things like that. And yeah, and then there's Big Brother that's dominating right now too. But anyway, there's a two-hour earnings call. David Zaslav barely talked about sports and barely talked about news. Maybe, and this is Alex Sherman talking, maybe the longer-term plan for him, for Zaslov, doesn't involve sports or news. He certainly said publicly that he really values CNN, for instance, but is there a world he might spin out CNN? Is there a world he could maybe separate the linear networks from streaming and sell off Turner? Possibly. Those are things I think at least are on the table, end quote. So that, that's just Alex Sherman theorizing that you know, maybe... You know, it's it's not maybe it's maybe David Zaslav doesn't feel like it's in his area of expertise to manage sports and news because Discovery didn't have any news networks, Discovery didn't have any sports networks. He has some internationally, but doesn't have any domestic. 
sports networks or news. And maybe that's not in his core competency, as business people might say. Um, so maybe that's something that ends up getting sold off, Lord knows to who. Um, but Turner there ref would refer to at least, well, it would refer to the TNETs, which are TNT, TBS, and True TV. It would refer to CNN, probably everybody's favorite Bleacher Report, my favorite Turner Classic movies, the Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Headline News, things like that. Um, so that's something that's a possibility down the line. And with those kind, that would be very interesting to see because obviously the AW relationship is with Turner, not with Warner Brothers and Discovery. And I mean, yeah, it, I, mean, yeah, I it guess would be like, fascinating because it's, okay, it's all under that umbrella. I, it's it'd be an interesting yeah. question. To, in to, says, I, I would like to know like who's actually going to do the negotiating with with Tony or AAM or whoever. Um, yeah. Is is does Dave Zaslav get that close into that? Probably not. And, Maybe and with if, the NBA deal, but yeah, go ahead. Zaslav, you know, it'd be, it's a fascinating comment, right? Zaslav, you know doesn't do news and doesn't do sports I'm like you're running a, a big cable a bunch of cable networks in the united states and you look at the cable top 50 like how many of those shows are either news or sports like mm -hmm. 40 out of the 50 each week but i think for him they, they probably look at it like hey we we have hgtv that and, and we can sell ads against it that that are that are worth x mm -hmm. and we you know what does it cost us to produce this programming it costs us less than x so it's profitable for us. It may, may or may not be in the top 10 or top 20 on the day, but it's profitable for us. So anyway, um, do we have, we have more. We I think we have uh, one from Tim B. Tim B asks, should TK, Tony Khan, handle the negotiations himself or get someone a la Nick Khan in 2018 to do it? Okay. So I think Tony Khan takes a lot of credit for a lot of things and the, the I, my understanding is that the deal that was done, uh, that they currently have with, with what, what, what was Warner Media, what was done at least with the help of uh, an agency called Active Activist Artists Management, which uh, includes people like Bernie Cahill, and he has met, mentioned Bernie Cahill on at least one one of his media calls. Um, but I'm sure he'll, you know, he's the CEO of AAW. He'll be leading, but I'm sure he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people, including including Activist Artist Management personnel. Who are who are have already been involved, similar um, to how Nick Khan negotiated Nick, the WWE deal yeah. before. Right, Nick Khan was with CAA at that time. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I, I I don't know how to answer that because we don't know the negotiation process of who who is actually going to represent AEW. And I I think it's important. He, he, told, he told John Pollock in a very short interview that he did uh, in Toronto uh, a month or two ago that he would be leading the negotiations. What does that mean, though? He's leaving the negotiations. Yeah. Like, will he? Will it be Tony talking? But there's 20 people with negotiation with a bunch of negotiations. He, he will still be him. the CEO at that time. I think that's right. what that means. <laughs> and um, but but to talk about Tony Khan for for a second, when he, he has said public things about the negotiations and, and the deals and the upcoming television deal, he does not talk like somebody that is open to the highest bidder necessarily he pretty much exclusively talks about warner brothers and if you ask him about it, he says we've got a great deal with warner brothers we're super happy with them they threw yes, a party for I us tried. in la the he most does, fulfilling meeting of his life he does not talk like the way nick khan talks during the investor calls where nick khan just you know is plays it out like we're we're ready for anybody who wants to make us an offer we think we can do this we think we can do why Tony does not yeah, present I, I the think, I think Nick has said, you know, things to the effect of I think, you know, when when it's time to negotiate, 
you go to the incumbents and you try to make a deal with them first. Yeah. But Nick is more political in nature in the sense that he will, yeah, he'll say we have a great deal with, with NBC universal. We have a great deal with Fox, but he doesn't go, Tony doesn't really say anything along the lines of we're going to go to the high bidder or we're open to anyone who's going to make us a big offer. He really is very protective of the idea that they have a super strong relationship with Warner brothers and they can't wait to continue to that relationship. Yeah. Which and I, I think, think Nick Nick likes to talk a lot about the media landscape, which is sort of an indirect way to say, "Hey, look, there's all these potential bidders who might yes, really value." We're going to be Netflix and Amazon Prime and Apple or whoever is going to be interested in them. And so I think Tony is very interesting in the sense that he doesn't, if if logically, I was trying to position my company to be open for um, business and, and wanting to land the biggest deal, I would at least publicly somewhat entertain the notion that we'd be interested in going to anyone who makes us a very competitive offer. I don't really get that vibe from Tony. Maybe, maybe he'd disagree with that, but I get the sense that he's very public again, publicly very into presenting the idea that they Warner brothers and AEW love working with each other and you should never expect them to not be working with each other in the future. Yeah. Like I've said before, he, he speaks as if the only media conglomerate that exists is Warner brothers discovery. Exactly. Um, we have another super chat from Lee Butler, who says, is, is TK's erratic behavior slash booking detrimental? Um, the, the quality of the content matters. Um, I guess by behavior, he's, maybe he's referring to his tweets. Um, I think Tony Khan could tweet less and he would be okay. I think um, every single person in wrestling could stand to tweet less. Every, everyone. Yes. Um, I think I think we may be at a point where, where AEW's popularity... In, in some ways, and some of his key metrics are, are going to plateau. Certainly, their pay per view, you know, they're 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 facing a year over year comparison of two hundred five thousand buys in, in all out. That I would be shocked if if they beat. Um, and you know, we'll see. I know I don't think Jesse agrees, but I, th- I think we're going to see a more reasonable, maybe not not perfect, maybe not awesome, but a more reasonable WWE product in the near future. And. That, that I had to get lessons. Well, there's no need. way to there's no there's no way to go but up for the most part for <laughs> right for WWE. But I guess I think I think it's just too early to project long term changes in the impact they'd have on the industry as a whole when we've only got a few weeks of Triple H's in charge and the product to me at least looks largely the same. Um, maybe from a, a talent relations standpoint, things are better. For sure, I think there's a lot of talent that likes Triple H that maybe was in WWE but is no longer in WWE. And I think if we're seeing ch- a sign here. Like, I would be shocked now at this point if Sasha Banks ends up in, in AEW anytime in the next year or whatever. I mean, I would, I would be surprised if she doesn't end up in, in WWE in the near future. Um, that seems like the seems like the reports and the tea leaves would suggest that, but um, it's definitely yeah, it's definitely. I mean, you just look at – I was talking about this on my podcast, the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, on the episode that we loaded up Friday, kind of talking about Triple H's WWE. And I was saying you just look at the the depth of the WWE roster. Who are people that exist that can be brought up from NXT or brought in and elevated quickly to kind of become Triple H's guys uh, in WWE? And the reality is most of those people are in AEW because Vince released them or – Vince didn't resign them, or they chose not to to resign for various reasons. Someone like Adam Cole, who Vince wanted to change his name and make him be a manager, you know, there was a no brainer for him to go to AEW at that point. But if Triple H had been in charge the entire time, he probably wouldn't 
he probably would have had very different plans for Radical. And you can look at Malachi Black, and you can look at Kyle O'Reilly, and you can look at, um, you know, Swerve and, and Keith Lee and all of these people that AEW now has that yeah. Triple H and, and, probably wanted to build the WWE main roster around. And in AEW, there's, there's there's only going to be so many spots. I mean, even if, even if AEW is booked to, to your ideal, whatever anybody's ideal is, like, there's still going to be a limit to... I mean, he and tries we've to seen jam, guys, jam everything he can in that show, but, you know, there's going to be a limit to how many... And we've many seen guys already... Well. We've already seen some guys step away because they didn't feel like they were getting an opportunity, and those are people that didn't go to WWE. Cody yeah. did, but yes. some of the undercard wrestlers, people like Joey Janela, people like Alan Angels, um, Duke Grayson, these people that did did walk yeah. away, and I don't know if they, were, if they were pushed on television all the time that they would have done that, but that's how the wrestling business works. I mean, there's limited amount of time and limited amount of spots, and the people that are really talented are going to be able to go to a situation that's whatever situation is more advantageous to them. And it's possible that the WWE situation is significantly more advantageous to them than it was when Vince was still in charge. Yes. Um, okay. And, uh, on the subject of ring of honor quickly, um, in lieu of what we just talked about, or in light of what we just talked about, like the, this idea that I, I, I don't understand where the justification is that, that, you know, AW that that Tony Khan is going to get a Ring of Honor TV show somewhere, whether that's in linear, whether that's in streaming. Um, that seems like a really hard argument to make in the financial situation that Warner Brothers Discovery describes himself as being in. Um, that doesn't mean that there might not be like a, a, a streaming service of AW's own that they launch and and that they put a Ring of Honor show on, and maybe that's that's the fallback plan. Um, but uh, yeah, the longer we go with Tony owning Ring of Honor and kind of them promoting Ring of Honor and there isn't any form of television deal being made, I think it becomes more and more curious as opposed to what is the future of Ring of Honor as a as a potential television product. Yeah. I think if you were to ask Tony, he would have liked to have television before Death Before Dishonor. Now it seemed to have worked out, it seemed like that show was a success from a business perspective. But perhaps moving forward which I don't think we don't have a date for the next Ring of Honor pay-per-view, right? I don't think so. So we have no concept of, of that. Um, can I ask you, what do you... Um, well, well, I'll say that I have I have another kind of topic that we haven't discussed at all. It's not on your slides, but I'll ask it at the end if you want to get through the rest of this stuff. We're not in a hurry. I just wanted to say, here, here are the, ra- the Rampage ratings. And if you want, like, another TV show, and yes, Rampage is on at 10 o'clock, and it's in a difficult time slot on Friday, which is not a good day either. Um, but the trend of Rampage, especially since it went an entire month in preemptions in May, uh, these, these Rampage ratings have not been good. And we're down to averaging in July a 0.14. Um, the year-over-year comparison for, for August is going to be abysmal because August was such a huge month for, for Rampage, including the debut of, of, of CM Punk. Um, but I, I guess if you're, you've got your number two TV show that's clearly declining, it, it seems hard to make an argument that you should have a third TV show with the same partner. Uh, that's all. Dynamite holding up better. I'll be very interested in seeing what this Rampage from this past Friday ends up doing if only because I think Rampage is firmly a B-show and that they there's a, a real stark lack of star power on Rampage. I, I was at the Rampage taping in Worcester, Mass um, yes. from two weeks ago where I think, let me, if I remember the card correctly, it was Orange Cassidy and the Best Friends versus Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt. There was a uh, Ethan Page promo segment 
There was a uh, Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Utah Chris Jericho promo segment, um, which was not really hyped that Chris Jericho would be there beforehand. The main event was Ruby Soho versus Anna Jay. It just wasn't a sh- a, a, a level show at all, and that was different than previous incarnations of Rampage. Um, where I think the, I, I, I thought they were both A shows. That's what I was told at the beginning. That, of this. There's, I, that's there's no B says. show. But, no B show. And there was there's no mid card title in the way Rampage was presented for yeah, from yeah. August to November or whatever was like that. And you can see that in the in the rating reflecting that the August rating is obviously skewered heavily by the CM Punk debut. But I would say up until the earlier months of this year, it was presented very much as an A show or at least a show on the same, relative same level as Dynamite. That hasn't been the case, and it's been reflected in the ratings. It's not like a, a real big puzzle to figure that figure out that happened. This week's episode of Rampage did contain, I think, a lot of stuff. You had John Moxley wrestling on there. You had uh, a tag title match with Keith Lee and, and, and Swerve Strickland. They, this was a show with, like, matches that you would see, you know, anchoring the first hour of Dynamite. So, um I'd be very interested to see, and it was live, which might help in some way. So I'd be very interested to see how close Rampage this week gets to like, up, you know, a point two zero if it's up in the key demo from from where it's been, you know, mm-hmm. around the point point fourteen, point thirteen, kind of those lows. Yeah, and uh, that will come out on Monday, uh, Monday afternoon. Battle of the Belts was last night too, uh, which, from an attendance perspective, did very well. The um. The last two, so that was the third battle of the belts. The last two battle of the belts at a point one eight and a point two seven. So that's a, a point two seven to a point one eight, which is a huge step down. If it does, you know, sort of a rampage number, um, that'll be another step down. Uh, Seven hundred four thousand viewers for for the first one, five hundred twenty seven viewers for the second one. Um, I would expect it to do a rampage type number, but we'll see. And that that will be out Tuesday morning. Um, so there's that. Um, Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Do you want to interject your, your other topic now? Yes. I really wanted to ask you, what do you, what do you make of WWE's live attendance trend over the last two months or so? Because we have seen, and you can look on the bottom line of, of, of the, the video 
chat where we have all the attendance and you can see like Houston, Texas, August 1st, over 10,000 fans. You know, the Mass Square Garden show sold a lot of tickets. The, the kind of the post Vince kind of fallout sold a lot of tickets, which I don't think anyone's surprised by. But the run into SummerSlam from an attendance perspective was really outstanding by WWE. And so it kind of felt like gave off the impression that the product was hot and that they were really doing really well in live attendance. But since SummerSlam, it seems like they've, they're way back down, despite the fact that the product has more momentum than it did before SummerSlam. I think there's way more interest in the product with Triple H in charge. So since SummerSlam, we're talking about like the last seven days? Yeah, I'm really talking about like what we see on the horizon if you go to WrestleTix and see the next month of Raw and SmackDown tapings. Seem to still, the sold seem to be trending towards like the five, six, maybe 7,000 attendance mode when they were up, you know, considerably higher through the month of July, at least. Um, I can see you have the yeah, July 2022... Um, yeah, so this is average attendance. This is this is from a report that you can get a page. But you can look look at the well. July, right? Look at the TV for July is at almost nine thousand fans, up from mm-hmm. six thousand the last few months, and very similar to kind of the, the the interest they would get during the run into WrestleMania. Which I don't know year over year that is a similar trend. Which is we know like March is a really big attendance month because they're gearing up for WrestleMania, and that obviously moves a lot of tickets. Um, I don't really get the sense that this SummerSlam had like a huge angle that people were really excited about but obviously you look at the attendance and it was very high for for the month of july um and obviously the last first month in august has been very good but just our first week in august but if you look at wrestle in the future like it does seem like they're back to like six thousand on average um I was looking thing, at I, like I almost never look at the at the future stuff like I, I I feel like I have a really weak understanding about what about what the trend for tickets distributed is like as the show approaches well um, wwe's is a little bit more uh i don't, don't want to say erratic but it's much more unpredictable AEW's is very predictable they will sell a lot of tickets the first time they go on sale and then slowly sell a little bit more so you start with like four thousand fans sold on like the pre-sale or like the first day tickets are on sale. AEW is probably ending up with like six thousand fans, maybe less. If you sell two thousand or twenty five hundred, you're probably going to end up with like forty five hundred fans or four thousand fans. They usually add about fifteen hundred fans, regardless of market. I don't know. After tickets I, go on like sale. I, I, try, I try to avoid getting getting bogged down in like shorter spans of time. And I know there was like in the in the early days of the return to touring. I, I heard a lot of negativity about about WWE's ticket sales and how, you know, they're 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 doing terribly, and they ended up doing pretty well in the in the first months of the return to touring, and they were there. There are two months where where AW averaged a higher average for TV, maybe total as well, because basically all that AW does is TV, right? But TV mm-hmm. to TV, there are so it's September of course last year with. Arthur Ashe and the Newark and the Long Island, where AW did over eight thousand and edged out WWE doing also just over eight thousand, but but AW did eighty two hundred, WWE did just under eighty two hundred, um, and then there's another month more recently, right, which should stand out here. June, AW had a better average in June for TV versus WWE's TV, where AW averaged seven thousand seven hundred and three. Versus WWE's almost six thousand even. Um, this is, I think, a lot of this is like 
you know, just a, a, whatever the mix of markets is, is, is there's a little bit of a, of a random play here. Um, more meaningful to me would be, let's look at longer term trends, including year over year trends. And these, the, these comparisons that we make in July and August will be a little bit skewed because that's in the early days of the return to touring. And there's this tailwind from, you know, we're finally back on the road after being off the road for a year and a half. Uh, we'll see. Again, if you have a super chat, if you have a question or comment that you want read on the air for us to, to address, you can add your super chat. Um, so, um, WrestleTix, so WrestleTix has, uh, this is probably what inspired me to, has a, has a post about looking at like the successful, it's titled the successful build to SummerSlam and the aftermath. And he kind of highlights the raw and SmackDown attendance figures from John Cena's return, which only happened once. So it's not like he moved a lot of tickets in the future. In, in Laredo, Texas, where they did 8,000 fans, which is a John Cena-inflated number. But they basically hung around 7,500 fans with some very large shows like Madison Square Garden Show doing 13,000 tickets distributed all the way up until SummerSlam. And then after SummerSlam, they are pretty low. And now this is a few days ago, but for instance... SummerSlam, the, 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 um, so the, the, the raw, the, I'm trying to get, make sure I have the right dates, right? The SmackDown before SummerSlam does almost 10,000 fans in Atlanta, Georgia. The raw after SummerSlam does, um, 10,000 fans in Houston, Texas, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then, so SmackDown did about 6,000 fans on Friday night in Greenville, South Carolina, which is, okay, it's Greenville, South Carolina. You're probably not going to do the numbers that you would do in Atlanta, right. Houston, and Greenville. S smaller market. Raw only Raw is in Cleveland tomorrow. It only has 4,500 tickets distributed. So it's about half of what it was, you know, what they were doing in the lead right. up to SummerSlam. Maybe. I mean, I've got, I've got date updated on that of, of August 2nd for... So maybe he hasn't updated that, but you might be right. We'll we'll see what happens in the final count. You know, Raleigh, North Carolina is 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 doing less than a little bit less than the Cleveland show. Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. doing a little bit better. They got two big shows in Canada, which are going to do really well because they always do well in Canada. You know, then moving for later into August, they've got five thousand fans out in Detroit, which I would say is disappointment given the wrestling ability wrestling ability to draw in Detroit. Mm -hmm. It will certainly crawl over the number that AEW did in Grand Rapids, but with three weeks away from SmackDown at the Little Caesars Arena in Detroit is now is doing less than AEW did in Grand Rapids for Battle of the Belts. Um, so I just find their attendance to be a little bit interesting in the sense that I would argue that there's a bigger interest in WWE than there was a month ago because of the, the Triple H reign and the interest that people have, and that's been reflected. It was certainly reflected in the massive rating that Raw did on Monday. Um, and and post SummerSlam, yeah, post yeah. There's there's other aspects that went into that raw rating being being what it was. But I did find it kind of interesting that their attendance seems to have is cooling back down after the build up to SummerSlam. Even though I feel like the from a momentum standpoint, the company seems to be more inch much more interesting now than it was a month ago. It's it's interesting and to to some people and like. I, I don't want to be the person who's like, well, it's just the smart fans. Because I think that's been, that argument has been much over overemphasized to the detriment of, of, of appealing to a wider wrestling audience. But some of this is because, some of this ratings increase is because of SummerSlam. Some of it, I, I think not. Um, if we look at the post-PPV bump table that I made here, this is like 
what was the rating for this raw after summer after any pay-per-view compared to the prior 28 days and we we had for this post SummerSlam episode a 27% delta here so that's that's on the the magnitude of a of a post WrestleMania um and I don't know that there is you know you can look at the post royal rumbles which are up you know somewhere between you know, 11% and 15% 17% um but the the post SummerSlam episodes in recent years have been pretty strong um two years ago when Roman Reigns came back and I believe didn't Brock Lesnar come back on the same SummerSlam uh in the early days of the Thunderdome that had a 22% or 21% bump. Um, well, Roman Reigns came back at the end of SummerSlam. Right. So he came yeah. back on SummerSlam, and then the next night, it does this 21% bump for Raw. Yeah. Even though that he was not on Raw, I think he was on SmackDown. Right. But nonetheless. He's a SmackDown star. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there was, there was momentum for, you know, like, obviously, both SummerSlam bump, but obviously a lot of interest in it wasn't really like anything happened on SummerSlam that made you feel like you really wanted to tune into raw. It wasn't like they closed the show with like this big angle and tune into raw to find out what happens. I guess you could argue that the Bailey Dakota Kai and, uh, EO sky, um, pre debuts, returns, debuts, whatever you want to call them, um, happened, but it wasn't like there was a big angle on SummerSlam that people wanted to see the fallout of on raw. But obviously I think Triple H, the kind of, there was a there was this message being sent, and this was very curious to me. There was this message being sent that this was the first going to be the first Raw where Triple H is like really in charge. The other TVs he had looked over were just kind of, you know, him kind of you know following the game game plan to get them through SummerSlam, and this was going to be the start of his new image uh, on 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 Raw. And that message was sent out to people in wrestling media and people with who are trusted sources that the idea that this was going to be a statement show. And there were a lot of people who were talking about that. I thought that was very interesting that the sources within WWE were reporting that out to the media without really giving any specifics about what the statement show would be, just that it was a statement show and that people should definitely tune in, um, which I found curious, but it would, there would seem to be a lot of momentum online. And I think it does play a role in getting people who were lapsed fans or people who had kind of tuned out of the Vince McMahon led WWE product to check out this version of raw. You have the, the, the demos right here. I think the big jumps in like the older male key demo categories, things like uh, male 25 to 34 or no um, male was uh, 35 to 49. They're, they're, they're tough to pronounce. I'm, I'm, I'm glad yeah. you have trouble. Like I do <laughs> the, the people 2554, um, the males 1234, these, these, these group of, of demographics where a lot of people, the conventional thinking is that WWE has lost those fans, those in, in popularity, those guys all tuned back in for this, this episode of raw. Um, will they stick around? I don't know. I know you have the SmackDown fast national from, from this Friday. Yes. I don't know uh, not, it was a pretty mediocre number. It was, it, 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 it looks like it's going to be, what did, what did I say? Uh, just over 2 million, which is, you know, which would be about what it was three weeks ago. It's not the big post SummerSlam boost that we saw on Raw, and it's not up from the previous week like we saw on Raw with uh, Triple H. So, you know, that's just one. That's just these are just one example. So, it'd be interesting to see what Raw does next week um, to see if some of those people that sampled the product after for the first time in a while uh, watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's definitely. 
WWE's rating trends over the last since the really since the Vince story broke the first Wall Street Journal story have become pretty pretty interesting to monitor after being relatively stagnant for a while. Yeah. And there's this big dip down here too. I know this is during the NBA playoffs, but this this dip between what is this uh, mid April and June? Yeah, it's coming off of the WrestleMania highs too, like the, the you know right. the run into WrestleMania, which is obviously the usually their strongest month of, of drawing. So like I don't, I don't even know what we should think of as the normal here, especially in in the, the summer months, which where usually ratings are a little bit down. You know, I, I don't know if going back here to look at the WrestleMania season is you know. If, if I should be thinking of this this as being especially high and expecting it to drop a little bit, and maybe if, if all of this back here is actually better than you would expect otherwise, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Um, alrighty. And so the, the rating was for Raw was the highest rating since, in terms of total viewership, was the highest rating since March 16th, 2020, which was that Austin 316 episode on 316 Day where he was pouring beer on himself in an empty PC, the first empty PC Raw, after the first SmackDown empty PC Raw. So uh, that was the highest in total viewership in terms of the demo. I'm doing this from memory, so hopefully I'm right. The highest since, I believe, WrestleMania, post-WrestleMania episode. If you look at... This is a really interesting stat to me. If you look at just the male audience age 35 to 49 that includes me which is the demo that aew dynamite has been most competitive with raw and smackdown in in the same week there are a number of weeks i think something like 10 to 15 each where where dynamite in the same week had a higher male 35 to 49 audience than raw or smackdown this this uh this raw it had I don't know what the number is, somewhere around 325,000 viewers in that demo. That's the highest since, not, not an episode of SmackDown, not an episode of Raw. This is the highest since the September 8th, 2021 episode of Dynamite, which is the post-all-out episode, uh, which, you know, coming off the debuts of Danielson and Adam Cole and the first match of CM Punk on the pay-per-view. So I was surprised that that, that, that was the highest since marker for, for that. Um, but really interesting. Um, yeah, you think about SmackDown being on network television, and right. it kind of shows the difference between network and cable television and kind of the audience makeup of SmackDown versus some of these other wrestling programs, despite the fact that SmackDown usually has t- double the viewership that AEW has, the, the, in particularly the 35 to 49 category, AEW is really dynamite's really competitive with SmackDown and wins a decent amount of weeks. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the, the younger viewership, I always believe the younger viewership is pretty slippery. The 18 to 34 was up 30% versus the prior 28 days. The, the male 18 to 34 was up 51%, which I think if, if there's going to be an, a, a demographic that I would expect to be especially interested in like, well, what's this new triple HW going to be like? Let me check it out. That's the demo that I would expect to be reflected in that. It was way up, maybe for a lot reason. of something that I have noticed is a lot of hardcore fans that are like in their early twenties now, a little bit younger than me. Triple H's NXT was a really big deal Something's in introducing childhood. them to like hardcore wrestling fandom and introduced all of these have Observer Hall of Fame voters who are voting in. NXT stars 
in uh in, in 20 years well we never we never really had ecw stars that were best known for ecw getting get into the the wrestling observer hall of fame so I, w- I would hold off on that although i know joe lanza will tell you emphatically that he thinks sabu should be in the observer sabu. hall of fame but yes the um but but that there was just in my personal experience there was there are people that i i've talked to that know that are like in their early 20s so a couple of years younger than me who will talk about how you know when they were 15 or 16 years old the the, the skullbird and nxt the triple h nxt was you know the opened the world of professional wrestling to them beyond just wwe and vince's product and it spoke to them in a way that wwe's main roster product didn't you know, bringing in all of these different talents, like bringing in Ricochet, bringing in Shinsuke Nakamura, bringing in Sami Zayn, these people that they hadn't seen before. Um, and so Triple H has a lot of um, cachet with those that fan base. And that fan base also isn't old enough to necessarily remember. Like, and I really, I, I, I don't remember this at all, but like the reign of terror at level Triple H, where Triple H becomes became someone that a lot of wrestling fans couldn't stand. Something that still yeah. holds true to, to certain fans to this day. Um, yeah, I think I think Triple H is a very different pol- politician in wrestling when he's a wrestler versus when he's office. Yes, his public image is very his public image is 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 very strong, um, and it's much stronger with some of the most important voices in, in wrestling media than Vince's was. And I think you've seen that shift a little yeah. bit with people who were previously very pessimistic about WWE turning the corner a bit yeah. triple h being in charge two, and there's reason two, for that there's logic for that i'm not saying it's like um, there's anything wrong with that there's plenty of reason for optimism it's just i think that there's a big difference yeah to, to the to the smart fan wrestling audience you know triple h throughout the early 2000s was definitely a heel and then somehow he turned himself babyface when he was behind nxt and then he kind of became a heel again during the wednesday night war and uh He's, he's, you know, the the new hope now. So we'll see what happens. Um, we will, uh, we will move on to another topic here. And this is these are for people watching on YouTube. These are some images of of the pro wrestling business. These would be in the years before before Vince took over in 1984 and really brought wrestling to new heights. These are some some images from from various bars. Back in the day, when things were only in black and white, and they were they were probably smoky too. There's I'm sure there's people smoking cigarettes and cigars in these images um, before Vince McMahon took everything national and, and global, and uh, you know just brought professional wrestling business to new heights. As as our new hero Triple H Paul Vex said on the Impulsive podcast with Logan Paul this week, he said this is not quite a complete sentence, but in but but in true Triple H fashion, I suppose he said without Vince McMahon, there's none of this. The vision to take it. He's referring to the wrestling industry from this tiny little thing happening in bars to a global sensation. Uh, that's true, right? Um, we will, we'll, we'll touch on what, what Paul Heyman said uh, here first. It's, as um, well. it's not 100% true, Brandon. I, I, I remember like I seeing I saw a videotape of a Jim Londos match and it was, it was inside like a little bar. Like it definitely wasn't inside a big arena. It definitely wasn't at Boston garden. It was, uh, it was in the smoky arena. Um, you know, this is really interesting because again, Triple H has the has a lot of people feeling optimistic about the company, but at the same time, he's still like Triple H is different. He he Triple H likes wrestling. He likes the word wrestling. He doesn't run away from wrestling. But he still then 
very differential to the public company image and the company legend is that Vince McMahon took wrestling. I never really heard the bars before. Smoky arenas, bingo <laughs> halls, those kind of things to, to, yes. to, to stadiums. Um, and he knows. Like, Triple H is not oh ignorant to wrestling God, history. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. <laughs> Triple H is largely credited with being the man who mended fences with Bruno San Martino and who brought him back into the fold and got him to, to, to you know, accept his WWE Hall of Fame uh, monet, you know, and, and Bruno said that, you know, Triple H reached out to me and, and all that stuff. Yet at the same time, Triple H is now undermining the legacy of Bruno San Martino by implying that Vince Jr. was the first person to run arenas or, or, or take it out of the smoky bars and so we know that he knows better, which makes it worse because there's plenty of people that will tell you this that simply don't know better. And it's because they've been indoctrinated by WWE's version of history. But Triple H definitely knows better, but he still is out there pushing the company narrative, which is that Vince McMahon is the only person who turned professional wrestling into a entertainment, into, into mainstream entertainment, as opposed to this weird niche that drunk people watch in bars. Yes. Um, yeah, as, as a lot of people have pointed out, wrestling, in all likelihood, it's hard, it's hard to get records. But I mean, just the fact that these these companies, you know, these promotions existed and uh, they were running as often as they were, by all accounts, with you know attendances in the thousands. Uh, various territories, at least in the U.S., were running weekly. Weekly, some of them running multiple towns weekly, uh, drawing thousands weekly, and uh, when. But by the by the '90s, we had one, maybe two companies that could draw thousands weekly, and and then I went on to become a wrestler who wrestled in bars, in front of maybe hundreds of people. Uh, so if anything, the opposite of that is true. And, um, you know, it's it's there's this whole there was so when Triple H said this, there was a pretty wide and Brandon, I know you had a a pretty prominent tweet that that caught a lot of attention, but there was a lot of pushback towards these comments. Um, from people it wasn't something that a lot of people just kind of dismissed or or accepted but there is definitely a lot of people out there and i've had arguments with some very prominent people within the wrestling sphere about this history and the concept that wrestling was more popular in 1980 than it was in 1988 um one company was one company was more popular than any other singular company had been but Wrestling itself was more popular in 1980 than it was in 1988 for the reasons that you just laid out, the territories and the idea of, you know, 5,000 fans filling arenas in pretty much every single major city across the United States and into Canada. Um, and then uh, uh, Triple H, in, in, it's not listed here, but well, he does say, he says a global sensation it took wrestling worldwide, which also opens up the doors for wrestling companies outside of the United States were also not popular across the globe. No wrestling was popular, which is obviously not true. Right. Mexico, Japan, none of that. Um, Ricky Dozan, he was I just wrestling in bars. El well, Santo. That's where he was stabbed. Um, <laughs> oh, geez. But um, I think, yeah, you know, I, I don't really wouldn't predict or expect that that Triple H would would not continue to reinforce the. Uh, What's that word you taught us the other week? Hagiography of Vince McMahon, this mythological history. Um, no one, no one associated, and you you can run, you might as well run the Cayman quote now. Nobody associated with that company has said anything other than like positive things about Vince McMahon, for the most part. Like I, I have, I can't, I haven't seen one. 
And here's Paul Heyman. I don't know if I'm going to read all of this. This is Paul Heyman on the Spotify Mac Mania podcast. And Paul Heyman says... Hey, w- I should point out, WWE has a promotional agreement with The Ringer and Spotify and yes. Mac Mania. So this is a WWE-approved safe podcast. Yeah, so before we move on away from Triple H, uh, Tim B adds a super chat. He says, MSG once a month equals the largest bar in Triple H's world. Thanks, thanks Tim B. Uh, and I know there's, there's at least one other super chat that we will, we will catch up on. Um, but Paul Heyman on the Mac Mania podcast says... I have absolutely nothing bad to say about Vince McMahon. What a hypocrite I would be to say anything that's less than extraordinarily complimentary about that man. His work at work ethic, his willingness to put in 20, 22 hours a day, every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for 40 years is why we are all fabulously wealthy and he will never get the credit nor the understanding that he deserves and that he earned. He also goes on to say, I'm fully supportive of the new regime. <laughs> I think we'll make that sufficient. Uh, <laughs> just a, a very, very Paul Heyman quote here. Uh, never mind the fact that he was allegedly engaging in sexual misconduct and inappropriate relationships with his employees. Never mind any of that. He'll never get the credit nor the understanding he deserves. Yeah, I mean, so the two things that are takeaway. The first is that no one says anything. No one has said really anything bad about them. No one has said any. No one mentions the NDAs, obviously. No one has mentioned Vince shrinking the wrestling company to fit inside the wrestling world to fit inside the palm of his hand. Nobody talks about the Saudi Arabia deals or the Jimmy, the Nancy Argentino murder or the steroid trial or Owen Hart or the uh, Mel Phillips scandal or any of these things that you can maybe point to and say, may, you know, there actually is something bad you can say about Vince McMahon, but um, the, the, I think, I don't know if it's a company wide edict or it's just everyone's smart enough to know is that you shouldn't be saying anything negative of Vince McMahon at any point. He should be a beloved figure that is elevated above all of us mere mortals and that is how everyone should respond to questions about him when they're doing media, especially with space where they're kind of recuperating from him, his recent departure from the company. I, I and think all, all of these media appearances are going through their, their media relations. Right. And they're probably. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't say that it's like the Mac mania show is, 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 is sending out a list of, of, of questions that are pre-approved, but I know that it is a, it is a literally an officially like co-opted podcast by WWE. So, and I believe he has a business relationship with, with I want to say one writer. of the hosts used to be a WWE writer. Um, and there might be another one of the shows on the ringer network that I'm, I'm forgetting, but um, that's, that's, that's part of it. But the show almost doesn't matter. It's, it's what Heyman has said. And, and Heyman for, you know, Heyman has learned how to play the game in WWE. And that's why he's been employed for the longest tenure of his entire career is, is because he understands how to, stay alive in that company and to how to continue to become fabulous. Well, fabulously wealthy, as he has said. And, um, I find, I find Heyman's Heyman's legacy, I think is, is more interesting than I think a lot of people think because he will, when he dies, he will be remembered for ECW and he might be remembered for like the SmackDown six, but mostly ECW. And he'll be always credited as being this really rebellious, innovative leader in the wrestling world. But it's also kind of strange. He spent the last two decades being like a, a toady for WWE. And that that is ultimately going to be 
a much more long lasting period of his career than his, his era of innovation. And I, I would say there's probably a lot of people who say, well, what do you expect, I guess, I, from people like Paul Levesque and Paul Heyman in these situations? And I, I don't expect much more, but um, OK, OK, in, Paul in Levesque, general. So, so, so hold on. <laughs> Paul Levesque can say very glowing things without, about Vince McMahon without like resorting to like um, pseudo history and, and things like that. OK, um, <laughs> but in general, I expect when people speak to, to speak truthfully and when they don't, we, we will uh examine the ways that, that they were lying. Um, so anyway, but P- Becky Lynch also had some comments with ESPN, an ESPN article uh, from a couple days ago, uh, which were more nuanced, I would say. She says, I'll, I'll read at least some of this here. She says, quote, it's the dawning, so she's, ref- I guess, referring to Vince out and, you know, new leadership in. She says, quote, it's the dawning of a new era. Uh, and this is before SummerSlam that she's making these comments. Uh, for me, it's crazy and sad because everything I've ever known about WWE has always had Vince in charge, and we wouldn't have WWE the way it is if it wasn't for Vince. He's somebody, yeah, you can thank me for not trying to do an Irish accent through this. He's somebody who believed in me and allowed me to do everything that I've done. She goes on to say, we have the opportunity to change some things that maybe weren't so great that we didn't love. I'm, I'm, taking various excerpts of this. She goes on to say, there, w- there has been a tendency in the past for creative to change last minute, or we don't know what we're do- wh- where we're going. It's hard to bring everybody along on this journey if we're rambling. Maybe we get to bring some words back. I like words. I like having a free range of lots of words, she said. Belts, fans, whatever else it is. Um, and uh, I understand that... Uh, what, what, what would you call this image? Jesse, um, Brandon, I would call right that here. a a local medical facility. Yes, I, uh, I did not watch SmackDown. I watched SmackDown with the volume all the way down, most if not all of it. Uh, but I, I I have heard that the word hospital may have been uttered on SmackDown on Fox this past Friday. Cannot confirm that, but I've heard that. I you know we in the in the in the real journalism world do use local medical facility. Um, do you? In do you use authority? Not all the time. Not all the time. But do you local medical faci- authorities? Local medical facility um, and authorities, to some extent, has value in the sense that it covers a lot of bases. Because a lot of times, if you're reading a police report, the police report will say local medical facility, which probably means a hospital, but it could mean a few other locations. So it's easier to just say local medical facility because you don't know for sure if they actually went to the hospital because they wouldn't report that in a police report. If someone got shot, they wouldn't say yes. And they went to, you know, Brigham and women's hospital in Boston or whatever. Like they would say a medical facility because they wouldn't tell you exactly where it is, but it also could imply they could go to an outpatient facility, depending on what happened to them. They could go to a, like a doctor's express style, um, care center, which is in the hospital. So there is some logic to that, but Obviously, you're running a fake wrestling show, and you could just say hospital if people are going there. Yes. Um, now as good as time, any to, to – we had a super chat from MJ from NJ who says, gas is sub $4. So here's a super chat. Brandon Ross was an awesome get. Next guest, Richard Deitch, please. Proud of WrestleNomics. Thank you, MJ. Um, Richard Deitch, do you, do, you, do you approve, Jesse? I don't know. Yeah, I don't no, know I think he's just gonna 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 call yeah, the podcast. But, but <laughs> I've listened to his podcast with like Tony Khan and some of the yeah. more interesting. He's had uh, Conrad on many times. 
Yeah. Uh, moving on to AEW made some announcements about personnel changes, or, well, I don't know if they're changes, but they're promotions uh, to talent relations. Uh, most significant of this, or at least the, mo- the one that is the most meaningful change, uh, is that Madison Rain has been hired as a coach. She also wrestled this past week, and uh, she did some commentary, I understand. Uh, but also... Uh, Sanjay Dutt has been promoted to Vice President of Production and Creative Coordination. QT Marshall has been promoted to Vice President of Show and Creative Coordination. Pat Buck has been promoted to Vice President of Talent Development. And Tony Schiavone has been promoted to Senior Producer and Special Advisor to Talent. Um, my understanding is that these are, these are basically formalizations of things that were unofficially in place already. But uh, maybe, maybe partly in response to issues that people like Jonathan Gresham may have been having, feeling that there wasn't good communication between talent and Tony Khan. Uh, Brandon, that was in Ring of Honor, not AEW. So, and they're very mm-hmm. separate companies. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, they are very separate companies. In the, but in the Tony Khan universe, maybe I should say. Uh, yeah. So uh, we'll see here. Uh yeah, this was the, I, my understanding is that this was this was basically already happening, but uh, but these are now official roles. Um, QT Marshall, Sanjay Dutt, Pat Buck, and Tony Schiavone were, were already working pretty closely with Tony Khan and putting together AEW's TV shows. Um, but this is a formal production in terms of how the the creative and the talent relations process works. Tony Schiavone's role, I understand, is, is more to filter access to, to Tony Khan and tr- try to address some problems uh, that people might want to bring to Tony Khan. Uh, notably missing from this list of uh, promotions and people who are involved with talent relations uh, are, are the EVPs. What are the EVPs, what are the EVPs up to these days? Uh, we'll, we'll get to what, what, what one EVP might be up to in a moment. But uh, no, no young bucks here. Okay, uh, well, one right of the EVPs here. is no longer in the company. Well, yeah, the ones who are who are still around. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting looking at the kind of the array of people that are kind of here and people that we can understand are being put into some form of management position, ones that they probably already had in some ways. Uh, you know, Tony Schiavone, I would have never expected to be this vital to AEW as he has become, both on screen and now behind the scenes. Wasn't Tony Schiavone like in the running when when Eric Bischoff? became the president of WCW. Wasn't like Tony Schiavone among the people in the running for that? I want to say, maybe. I can't remember, but I know, I mean, Bischoff was like the C-level announcer in the company um, before, so it would reason to suspect that that Schiavone might have been also gunning for that spot. I mean, you know, Pat Buck is a independent wrestler turned pretty prominent wrestling trainer turned WWE, you know, similar, he has a similar role in WWE that he now has in AEW. Um, QT Marshall's kind of like a day one or so AEW tent guy who's clearly been vital in a lot of different ways to, especially when it comes to the undercard and AEW Dark and, and things like that. Sanjay hasn't been in the company a ton, but I he, was Sanjay. He was working. Was he? Did he work for WWE or he? I know he yes. did. Yes. So he Pat came from WWE and, and and Sanjay Dutt came from around the same time. Yeah. And Dutt also, I believe, was doing work for Impact before he went to WWE. Uh, yeah. and we, we should note here too that Christopher Daniels, the press release states, uh, is still serving as the manager of talent relations. 
Yes. And, um, and that's, he's been the man. That's, that's, uh, I think he's been that since day one. Yeah. Um, um okay. Uh, just quickly, the, uh, the AW, AW announced the name of it. I think it's the first time the name has been confirmed, right? Of the, of the, the video game fight forever will be the console game that's coming out from AW with, uh, Ukes and THQ Nordic. I don't know whether should I call them developers, producers. I, I'm so, I'm so uh, ignorant to, to video games these days. But it will have features including match type, singles matches, tag match, three way, four way, ladder matches, the casino battle royal, falls count anywhere, the unsanctioned lights out match, exploding barbed wire death match, which will, hopefully the explosions work, uh, a, a career mode, a wide set of customization. Uh, for wrestlers, movesets, entrances, teams, arenas, will be online multiplayer and leaderboards. One of the screenshots that they sent out is like what appears to be Hikaru Shida uh, in in the Jaguar Stadium using the Singapore cane like it's a baseball bat hitting hitting. I mean, this this is probably a football field though, right? But she she appears to be playing baseball with a Singapore cane and hitting maybe a baseball that turns into a fireball. So it's not. The Jaguar Stadium. That's not the Jaguar Stadium? Well, the Jaguar Stadium, I'm pretty sure, has teal seats. This okay. has red seats. I'm going to use that. I'm, I'm, I'm doing that by memory, but I believe the... It's not called Altel Stadium anymore, but I like to call it Altel Stadium because that's when the Patriots won the Super Bowl. It was They played at Altel Stadium in Jacksonville. It's called something okay. else now. Someone in uh, the chat says there was a baseball minigame. Okay. Yes, there were a lot of minigames in the little trailer that they showed. There's going to be that. I mean... All you, all you can tell from these things are what the graphics look like for the most part. And I mm-hmm. think ultimately nobody will care that much about the graphics of a wrestling video game. It's going to come down to how it plays. So yes. we the, shall uh, see. Yeah. The, the, do, do you play the, the, the wrestling video games? Like what's the most recent wrestling video game that you've played? Oh, the most recent one that I've played is probably going to be... I played it very briefly and I just ultimately didn't like it and decided that I like the wrestling video game thing had kind of passed me by, which we, I believe I played WWE 2K18 at Seth Rollins on the cover. I want to say it's 2K18. It might be a year or two, give or take. But as a as a kid, yeah, I mean, the ones I played a lot as a kid is uh, I played the WrestleMania 19 video game a lot because that was for the GameCube and I had a GameCube as a kid. But when I would go to friends' house, um, it was a lot of uh, SmackDown versus Raw. SmackDown versus the first one, SmackDown versus Raw 2006 or 2007 or whatever that is. I know people will. A lot of people hold like the old N64 games in high esteem. Yes. Uh, yes. It's. Uh, I mean, the, the wrestling video games are definitely they're definitely valuable ways to reach new fans. I definitely became a bigger fan yeah, of pro wrestling. For sure. um, through the video games and, and kind of under, it helps you understand if you're especially a kid, it helps you understand the roster a lot better. And you see someone who's cool to use in the video game, they become more popular uh, as a wrestler. I think like Ray Mysterio being really fun, different in a lot of the video games helped him kind of get over on the main roster, especially with children. Um, so I think it's a valuable marketing tool. I, I don't know like what is like, what will be considered successful sale numbers for the AEW video game and, and, and that on that end. There is, yeah, I don't know the world ever no sales units or the amount of money generated, but um, there's there's some list that we were we were following uh, W's last console game uh, for, and and by the way, W's last console game W2K22 I think was did did it made it to like the top five number five slot or something like that for console sales at least for a week. Yeah, um, the, critical, the WWE reception games, was pretty good too. Yeah, after a very poor 
reception, I think, to the yes. one before that, which I think was 2K20, not 2K21. I think they had right. a year they, off. They took but, time um, off, and they did an arcade game in between called Battlegrounds, I believe. Yeah. And so they have... Um, yeah, so, I mean, WWE's game, and they're played by people who maybe are not regular viewers of television as well. So yeah. I think there's a lot of fondness for wrestling video games out there from people who are no longer wrestling fans, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And those might be people who, who give it a try. Yeah, I think it's, 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 like you said, I think it's very strong for creating fans. I, you know, I, and when we were training people, like, you know, there are a lot of people who describe their entrance into wrestling fandom as, as some wrestling video game. I think action figures are, are like that too, for a lot of people. Um, so it's, it's not just creating stars and putting on a great TV show that, that, generates fans um we wouldn't know if you if you only watch wwe you wouldn't know what like any wrestling moves are called except for finishers oh. if it wasn't if it wasn't for the ww video games because that's i mean that's where you learn what all these moves are called when you're going through the moveset lists and right. i remember excalibur saying that he um would like in like the 90s he was part of some online chat community i think with super dragon before he had even met super dragon and they were, um, I think it was Fire Pro Wrestling or one of those Japanese games. And he was like, he wrote down like every move in the game on published, published online. And that's how he knows like what every single move is being called. And the subtle differences between the two all comes from that. So maybe he I mean, the game facts. Yeah, it was something like that. Right? He, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, that's how I know. That's how I learned moves and, and stuff. And what's the difference between a, you know, a vertical suplex and a northern light suplex and a double underhook suplex and, and all those kind of things. It definitely helps in foster foster um a passion for wrestling in certain ways that and tnm was was big for me in learning wrestling move names do you know what tnm is no tm7 is a wrestling simulator uh tnm7 yeah it's just a text-based wrestling simulator where you could have a promotion and yeah i'm familiar with like shows it was a tew right it's it's like pre tew pre ewr Anyway, you're playing on your Apple II. Uh, Windows 95, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I think that's all we have uh, for for this week. If you hit the thumbs up, that really helps us out. Uh, do you have anything else to add before I start wrapping this? Uh, no, just follow me on social media at Jesse Collings. Um, check out our podcast, the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. We just, me and my co-host Jason Unpresser, just did an episode, kind of looking at Triple H's first two weeks in charge kind of get into the, some of the details on SummerSlam and the early Raw and SmackDowns and kind of what we expect going, what, we, what we've learned so far and what we might be able to expect going forward with WWE under his stewardship. Okay. Check out the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. Thumbs up here. Share, subscribe to this podcast on YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. We did an interview with Light Shed Analyst Brandon Ross uh, just last Tuesday. You can find that on the YouTube channel and in your WrestleNomics Radio podcast feed. Um, that was a really fun discussion we had with Brandon. Yeah, very the good reception aggreg- for that. The Definitely. aggregators picked it up. I, I saw it. Did they? My, yeah, my WrestleNomics vanity searching. I saw there was yeah, yeah. Some 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 conclusions were being jumped to based on some things that Brandon Ross said. I think, and in the wrestling news space. Yeah, I mean Brandon offered a lot of insight, and we we, we talked to him right before the Warner Brothers Discovery kind of media call, and he he shared a lot of kind of interesting insight on on what people that really closely follow, you know, media rights and, 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 and big media and, and big network stuff, 
really what they were thinking about that. It's it's definitely something worth check your if you enjoyed what we talked about today, it's definitely worth your time. Yeah. Um the Russellonics Patreon at patreon.com slash Russellonics where you can subscribe for just five dollars a month. Uh these are all things that uh were posted recently. Actually, this is a week old. The Recorder Hours posted last month. Uh, my my reporting on what was happening with Vince just following his re- announcement about his resignation. This this past week, though, I published that uh, this 25-page PDF, which goes over all these different key metrics for WAW and additional uh, promotions, uh, as well as my TV ratings reports that come out nearly every day. Um, we just did a Who's a Draw podcast on Wednesday, where we basically do talent talent analytics going through all the quarter hours for July, all of the YouTube videos for the weekly TV shows for WNAW, and we go through all of that to try to judge who's making a positive difference. Um, No spoilers, but acknowledge him is is among the top top performers there again. Um, WrestleNomics Radio is, as always, distributed in partnership with Post Wrestling. Uh, And uh, the WrestleNomics contributors are... Jason Unpresser, Chris Ely, Jesse Collings, Chris Gullo, our technical consultant, Phil Chertok, just launched the WrestleNomics ratings game. We're, we're continuing to do this at least with the, the demo for Dynamite. So every Thursday, or I suppose really at any time, you could predict what the demo rating is going to be for Dynamite, for the, for the upcoming episode of Dynamite. Um, that's on Twitter. All you have to do is use the hashtag WrestleNomics game, and then... Guess guess a, a two-digit decimal number, for example, 0.33, which I think is what the rating, or 0.32, I think was the rating this past Wednesday. Uh, we'll be tweeting about that later. Uh, thanks to John Pollock, Waiting, Corey Gibson, Showbiz Daily, Russell Tix. WrestleNomics was originally created by Chris Harrington, and we are distributed in partnership with Post Wrestling and supported by listeners like you. So thanks again. Talk to you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.